Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Cast Conversations. As always, I'm joined with the um, fresh, fresh Mike Phil. Fresh Mike Phil. That's what we got today. We got a new microphone for Phil and I, so we should sound a little bit better. I hope your ears are tingly. Hopefully we do. If we don't, just tell us we do so we feel good about ourselves. Do an ASMR channel. All right. How's that sound? All right, all right. Um, so again, we are joined by Matthew. Uh, we kind of uh, ran out of time last time uh, we were doing the episode, so we thought we'd jump back in because we still had more to ask him. So, yeah. um, I guess no further delay. We'll just jump in. So uh, we wanted to talk about your podcast uh, mainly, and to start that off. So, how did that get started? Like, how did you decide you wanted to make a podcast? People ask me that question a lot. I started thinking about it, probably not an exaggeration, five years before I really did. And it seemed like something that was an idea. Maybe I'll try someday. I think we have a lot of those thoughts in our head of one day I'd like to do this. Maybe in the future, by a time or the energy, maybe I'll do this. And finally, just one day, I thought to myself, you know, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to give it a shot. I have... I feel like I have something to say. <laughs> I feel like I have something to contribute, and I'm going to just put a podcast out there. And I did give some thought to the themes, the general concept of the show. So it wasn't a total impulsive. You know what? Today I'm just going to do it. So I did put a little. I did put a little bit of thought into it, uh, but also realizing no matter how much I plan, things are going to change, and they did. If you even listen back to episode one and then episode. 10 they sound different and then episode 20 sounds different and now we're uh getting close to episode 70 you know as we're recording this and that sounds totally different than episode one um and so uh, it was just thing i decided to do i felt like i had some time on my hands to be able to do it had a very loving and supportive wife who uh you know was going to support me taking some time to do it outside of my my typical day job so it just was a decision I decided to go for it. And I am really amazed at how much it's grown. I never went in with the assumption that it was going to be a big podcast. Um, I just wanted to put something great out there. And I've been very lucky that it's it's something that's been really well received so far. So it's been encouraging to keep moving forward. Yeah, that's that's really cool. And it's it's almost the same with us. Ours has grown tremendously from our first episode. Like just even our intro music, we didn't quite have it down yet. Yeah, it would like Um, cut. Yeah, it would just like stop instead of fading in. And we we would, so we we've gotten better. We've learned, and you don't really learn without trying and just going for it. Um, So I guess in what in what ways, um, with especially now we have these new microphones. uh, How'd your has has your experience changed with like? I guess your editing skills and like has your equipment changed as well or what are, what are all those details? Funny enough, I think the thing that's changed the most is the equipment. I don't mm-hmm. think that uh, editing skills are probably about the same and it's maybe a fault of mine of not looking to improve the editing skills and uh, and maybe I should put some more effort into it. But uh, yeah, I think that's the equipment has really been what's changed the most. I started out using a, a blue Yeti mic. It was, you know, like a $50 mic, a nice little intro, mm-hmm. entry-level microphone. And eventually I realized I wanted something a little bit better quality. Um, 
and uh, went with a, a roadie mic and then upgraded about a year ago, a little less than a year ago, to my current mic, which is a, an even better version of a roadie mic. Um, a little pop filter, a uh, little audio box, you know, like you kind of add a little bit to it every single time. Um, so, and I, I have other audio equipment on my radar that I would like to get. And that's mostly what's been different. Otherwise, the general formula for the podcast, amazingly, hasn't changed that much. Um, I've made tweaks here or there, and that's about it. Um, pretty much everything has just been consistent otherwise. And I'm just looking to improve upon the quality. Like, you know, here's the formula that seems to be working. Here's the, uh, you know, the typical intro, typical close, uh, typical episode consistency. And I'll just look to improve it with every episode. But otherwise, it's pretty much the same. That's really funny that you said that about um, your equipment change because that's essentially like exactly <laughs> what Phil and I went through. We started on the Blue Yetis and then, yeah. of course, just upgraded. But um, you also mentioned that you've got your eye on some things in the um, equipment world. What are some things you're looking for? I would like a um, I'm, I apologize. I'm not an audio guy. So <laughs> no, you're good. I'm totally going to screw this up. Um, but one of those uh, like mix boards. Um, oh, yeah. OK. Like that's and to get a good one, it's, you know, several hundred dollars to get a really sure. good one. So. Um, again, totally screwing up what the actual terminology is, but I'd love to get uh, one of those. And I have a, a and I have a listener who's also a, a good friend who is an audiophile. He <laughs> teaches music. He knows a thing or two about audio, and he's been convincing me to get one of those and saying the audio is going to improve tremendously. Um, a little selfishly, he says it because he he likes listening to the podcast and he wants a better audio, you know, even better audio <laughs> quality. So, I, but I'm like, you know, what it benefits me too to do that. Right. Uh, so that's the number one thing that I'm actually looking to get, and I also would love to get a. While this microphone is fantastic, I would love to get like a a real recording studio quality microphone. Yeah. That would be amazing so those two things are you know it's going to cost a together a few grand but that would yeah. be what i would aim to get next i your your quality is probably some of the best i we've Easily. heard yes Easily, and yeah. it, for you to even improve on what you already have that would i can't <laughs> even imagine to, hearing what that would sound like I think it's because uh, I listen to a lot of po other podcasts out there that are um, actually I shouldn't say a lot. Let's do a few other podcasts that from podcasters who are in bigger arenas outside of a, a niche audience like Disney, sort of a mass audience podcast. Um, and when I listen to their audio quality, it's like I, I, I agree. I have a great mic, but <laughs> and, and the audio is great. But there is it, it does, again, sounds professional recording studio level audio so right. that's sure. and it could be their mixing board it could be the, the you know computer equipment that they use it could be something else but i feel like it's also the microphone yeah there's, there's so much that comes into play when you're dealing with all that stuff well phil what's that what's that mixing board that you and i were looking at and then we, uh, went, the, we looked at the price tag and we're like nope the roadcaster pro i know a lot of people use it is that yeah, the roadcaster pro that's that's the one that i see a lot of people using on podcasts that phil and i were both looking at but it was like six hundred dollars or something yeah anyway, yeah no no way <laughs> something way up there <laughs> we that, said, that could be a, a little disney you know uh, a 
maybe a park ticket or you know, right. <laughs> or halfway to an annual pass or like something. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I hear what you're saying too about um, other podcasts sounding a little bit better because the podcasts I mainly listen to, they use those um, sure mics that are, uh, I don't know what they're called. Uh, they're a little bit longer um, and thicker too. So they have that like yeah. recording quality um, sound to them. But I guess any way you can, um, add things here and there to get to the end goal is always nice. Yeah, exactly. And it's incremental improvements. As long as you're piece by piece looking to improve, whether it's in the content, in the the way that you present the podcasts, the equipment that you use, the guests you get on the show, I'm a proponent of playing the long game. And I think that in order to play the long game, you can't be impatient you have to have a little bit of patience and just look to make incremental improvements step by step you know it's it's not to use a cheesy analogy but if you look at the steps of a of a skyscraper and you think i want to get to step number a thousand (laughs) it's going to be very difficult for you to do that and make it to the top if that's what you're looking at but if you're looking at i'm going to get up to the next you know the next 10 steps and then the next 10 steps and the next 10 steps. sure it's like golf like yeah piece by piece exactly That makes a lot. That makes a lot of sense. So kind that's of, actually that's. Oh, sorry. One more thing. It's yeah. kind of good for us to hear too, because since we are a newer podcast, like we do sometimes get discouraged when we don't get the numbers we want, like the exact numbers we want. And so recently, we've been getting a change in numbers too, which is super nice that we've been doing this about almost uh, eight months so, now. So yeah, eight months or so. Yeah, yeah. Around there. So uh, we are newer, and so. Um, like you said, like it's that piece by piece, like we can't get too discouraged too early. Like we just got to keep pushing through it. And the key to success is to have fun. I, exactly. It really is true. Yeah. Like the moment I stop enjoying doing this is the moment I'm doing something wrong. So, right. uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta have a love for it. That's how it's going to really succeed. Yeah. We, Jeremy and I were literally just talking about this yesterday, yeah, I think. And yeah, we were, we were saying, uh, well, how long do you think it'll go? And we were like, I mean, why might as well do it as long as we enjoy it like, yeah we came to the consensus we're going to do it as long as we both can <laughs> yeah no reason to stop if you both yeah, love right. it then just keep going for it yeah exactly enjoy, we enjoy meeting our guests and talking about new new topics and love the love the disney topic and everything that we do so yeah gonna keep going and speaking of topics i guess uh we let's get into some of the topics you've had on your episode you so why why Imagineering? I know you said last time you just you have a love for it. Uh, I guess where did that love start, and uh, how do, how do you find out all this neat facts and all the stuff you provide on your show? I must have some Imagineering DNA somewhere in me because <laughs> I think it's a curiosity that when I was young I loved going to Disney. And I think we talked about that last time. It's, it has been a lifelong love. I can't think of a particular moment in time where I started loving Disney. It was literally something that has been a part of my lifelong consciousness that that's just part of my personality. I just love Disney. Um, it has to do with my parents taking me when I was young. And I'm sure there's some core reasons going into my you know early subconscious memories that tap into that. But uh, when I got old enough to look beyond the attractions from their superficial level, the guest experience, while it is layered and complex, I enjoyed it and then thought to myself, well, how do they make this work? And 
I started looking at other elements of it and I've always been very absorbent of my environments. And so, especially if I love, love something, I'll, I just have a natural curiosity, want to learn more about it. So naturally loving Disney, I've wanted to learn more about that. And then I, I realized that I not only can get that information by going to the parks and looking around and seeing like, oh yeah, they use this lighting over here or interesting music that they're choosing to put in this part of the queue or uh, like, oh, this is how the building's laid out. It's kind of interesting how they decided to do this, not just experiencing it, but that they have books out there where you can learn this information. And so, and they sell some of it in the parks. And I think that might've been the first time I came across it was maybe in uh, back then downtown Disney with a, uh, you know, si seeing a book and maybe the world of Disney about Imagineering. And I said, oh, I want to, you know, looking at it and like, oh, can I take this home? And then my parents bought it and I brought it home and I would read the book and I would just think about, oh, that's that's how they put this attraction together. Or, wow, look at that photo of how they constructed this. And that kept perpetually uh, growing. And so then I bought more books. And then with, you know, I grew up in the ages of uh, of uh, AOL dial-up, you know, dial-up internet. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there wasn't a lot out there on the web about Disney, but eventually as I got into middle school and high school, more information started becoming available on the web about Disney. And so I would look things up. I would watch shows. I can't even remember specific shows I would watch that would maybe talk a little bit about Disney or maybe I'd see a documentary like the the uh, Expedition Everest documentary that was on Discovery Channel, I believe it was, mm. like an hour-long special about that attraction and learning everything about that. And so it's it's gotten to the point where... I'll, I have this information, like just so much information about the parks kind of stored somewhere in my brain. And there are times where I'll forget a particular detail and I'll have to go back and fact check in one of my books or online and I'll check multiple sources to make sure it's right because people can say anything on the internet. Um, and now, thankfully, I am in a position where because the podcast has, you know, I've kind of pushed it to the point where I, I've started to interview Imagineers if I really can't find something, I'll occasionally message someone I've had on the show and ask them if they know if it's something that they worked on. Like, do you guys remember what you know, this particular detail? Um, <laughs> as kind of a spoiler, uh, uh, to give a specific example, uh, my next podcast episode is going to be about the Hall of Presidents. And there was a detail that I could not find. Like I, I, I looked in books, I looked online, I just could not find it. And I had a sneaking suspicion that the person who worked on the uh, the, the the wigs of the presidents in the Hall of Presidents was Harriet Burns, who was the first lady of Walt Disney Imagineering. And I had her granddaughter on the show back in the fall, and we still occasionally keep in touch. And so I messaged her. I'm like, hey. Do you happen to know if your grandmother worked on the wigs on the Hall of Presidents? And then she reached out to her mom and got back to me. She's like, yep, she did. And I'm like, thank you. Oh, that's so crazy. <laughs> that's, so, wild. that's so funny. So uh, that's how I do some like I've gotten to that point of like the first source. <laughs> like yeah. you, know, you go through uh, uh, like sources of, you know, documenting other sources. And, and now I'm kind of like up to the. To reach, being able to reach out to individuals who know of the people um, who worked on the attractions or who did work on the attractions, which is so amazing to me to think about. And um, I just feel like I need to know even more of them because there's only a few of them right now. And uh, yeah, so it, it's fact checking, it's researching. And even now for attraction episodes, I still do my homework. Even if I think I know something, I go back and fact check it just because I know that they're 
there are people out there who, who a lot of them who know more than I do. And um, so I, I try to make sure that for those who are listening who know more than I do, that I say something right and, <laughs> and don't uh, screw up a fact, which I, I think I probably have in the past kind of messed up a fact or two here or there. Oh, I'm sure. I well, I've been voting. I'm the one that's. I don't know if you look. I hope. I hope you don't. I'm the one that's voting on your uh, polls on the Cast <laughs> Conversations account, and I have probably out of like let's just say 50 questions gotten two right. So, <laughs> um, I I ask some really hard questions. There, yeah, I there are I was some like, difficult ones. Well, you guess I'm guessing there for this one. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm so jealous you've had uh, Imagineers on because Phil and I actually got a hold of an Imagineer. And he said that for like media reasons, he couldn't be on the show, but he'd keep us in mind for the future. So because he um, said he had to get a- approved by Disney or something like that. That's true. Um, I've I've never had an Imagineer on the show who was a current Imagineer. Oh, okay. okay. So they're always retired Imagineers, and that's very intentional because having. I think I just remember that even from working at Disney, that if they said if media comes up to you, you need to get approval to be on camera or saying something like you need to have media approval um hmm. so i actually haven't reached out to existing imagineers yet although they are in my list that doesn't yeah that makes sense that makes sense yeah we were like yeah it seems kind of weird but i i guess it makes sense <clears throat> yeah, yeah you have to go through like the the disney pr team and they'd have to mm-hmm give you permission and the imagineer permission and probably brief the imagineer because they're you know when someone who works for the walt disney company speaks on behalf of the walt disney company <laughs> that's a that's a liability to the company so sure, right. they have to put on their you know although the chances of of someone like suing them or saying something or holding them accountable or something are kind of small but it's such a large company that they really have to protect themselves yeah sure. uh, i'm Definitely makes sense. Uh, Yeah. Go ahead, um, Jeremy. Well, I was going to ask, so on the topic of Imagineering, uh, I was going to ask, in your opinion, which park do you think has the best Imagineering? Such a hard question. It is. Um, And part of the reason it's tough is because of the time periods that they came out. So the technology in 1971, (laughs) when the Magic Kingdom (laughs) was built, is very different than the technology in 98, when Animal Kingdom was built. Sure. Um, Makes sense. Without adjusting for the transition in time and technology, I do think Animal Kingdom has the best Imagineering. And that's actually leaving technology out of the equation because the experience is very authentic in that park intentionally. And I think the fact that Joe Rody created that park shows because he's very much about, uh, and as I'm sure you guys know, like authenticity and uh, being as realistic as possible and even talking about when he talks about the way that they designed Animal Kingdom it was different than every other park in many different ways and one of my favorite ways that again like I'm curious and I, I learn these things and then I ever since that's just something I always pay attention to whenever you walk into any Disney theme park within you know a couple hundred feet you're going to see the icon of the park you know, the only right. difference with uh, Magic Kingdom or Disneyland is you go through that grand reveal of the train station and kind of kind of have to go into the middle of Main Street and then you see the icon. But uh, yeah. Epcot, Space of Earth is right there. Hollywood right. Studios, the Grumman's Chinese Theater is right there. California Adventure, the the um, Carthay Circle Theater is right there. With Animal Kingdom, you walk into the park, you don't see the Tree of Life. You also don't have a set path 
beyond the entrance. You either go yeah. right or left. Yeah. And there's little these little uh, you know kind of other walkways you can walk between to explore the oasis. And it's meant to give you a sense of adventure right from the beginning. That there's no clear path. There's you're going to just explore and find places, and you have to find the icon of the park in the center of it. Um, so it's the way that they designed it, and in little little details like when you're another one of my favorite details. And again, like I learned it, I'm like, wow, that's just insane. Is you're walking from. Uh, you know, you walk across the bridge to Asia, right side of the Tree of Life, and then you make the right and you kind of go past uh, the the entrance of Kali River Rapids and around the corner towards Expedition Everest. And the like, paying tribute to authenticity, the first part of Asia is Anandapur, which is similar to or supposed to represent the lowlands of Southeast Asia, like Cambodia mm-hmm. and Thailand and Vietnam, that area of Asia, um, and there are low wetlands. And then when you are walking towards Expedition Everest, you're getting into a more mountainous part of Asia. You're walking towards India, Nepal, um, you know, parts of China that are mountainous. Like that's that's the landscape there. And so as you walk, not only do you get that sense from the fact that you're seeing a mountain and it's looking more mountainous and the architecture is changing. But if you look at your feet, the way that they um because you know they have like in all of animal kingdoms concrete they have leaf prints and animal prints and something to give you the sense that you're walking on dirt not concrete and in anandapur the lowlands they use bikes to get around so you're going to see bike prints all over but as you're walking towards the mountainous town of Sirkazong, or at the base of expedition everest they can't use bikes to you know because they have to it's it's too mountainous so instead, they have to use animals like oxen or donkeys or other animals to kind of help them get up the mountain. And so you're going to see that the bike trail starts to disappear. And in its place are oxen footprints and donkey footprints. And it's something That's that so most crazy. people will never recognize no, and yeah, never I... care to see. You're not going to look at your feet. But it's that that level of attention to detail that I think that has nothing to do with technology. It, it's what makes Animal Kingdom incredible. Yeah, yeah I, that's insane. I, I, I mean, I obviously you, see, you notice the tracks, but you know, you, I never thought about the purpose of what tracks were there. I guess that that's yeah. really crazy. I probably it's saw them and without thinking it. <laughs> I probably saw them without thinking it. It was like, oh, it's just like it's just part of the atmosphere. Like, maybe... yeah, it's like a dirt path you're walking on. So. Right. Yeah. I don't think they expect people to recognize it outright, but it's an attention to detail that makes you accept it and believe it. And that's what they want, is you for you to believe the experience. It's something that you might not even recognize consciously, but it's somewhere in your subconscious clicks that it's believable. Yeah. And that's what's really cool about the parks is the immersion. And uh, yeah. we do have something about immersion, but before we get to that, <clears throat> I was going to ask you, you mentioned it earlier. So when you walk into the park, are you a team left or a team right guy for the entrance? I'm a team <laughs> left guy. And uh, I, I, that's partially, I'll have to be honest. There are times I have gone right. It depends. Part of it actually depends, to be honest, on which gate I walk through now that I'm thinking about it. Because if oh. I walk through the annual pass holder gate, it's on the right hand side. And I actually tend to stay right because of that. Um but if I'm more in the center, I do gravitate towards the left. Uh, part of that was growing up. My parents, whenever we went to Magic Kingdom, would always go left. At Epcot, we would always go left. Um, and <laughs> so we always went left. And it's funny. We're all right-handed. 
Um, <laughs> but my parents, I don't know how they learned this, but um, they learned that everyone, for the most part, goes right first because we are right-brained creatures, which is for the most of us, you know, most most sure. people in the world are right-handed, so most people think to their right. And that's why if you even look at the bridges from the Magic Kingdom hub to the individual lands, the largest bridge is Tomorrowland. And that's not because it has the most popular attractions because the other side has Haunted Mansion and Thunder Mountain and Splash Mountain, Um, but because most people stick to their right. It's also why on the right side of Main Street, you have the bakery. um, And on the left side, you have the Emporium because in the morning, you're going to pick up coffee on your way into the park. On the way out, you're going to think on your right and you're going to go to the gift shop. That's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Like just brilliant. (laughs) <laughs> this is why I like I have so much information is because I learned something and it's so incredible that I'm just like, how could I possibly forget this? this <laughs> yeah. the most and now the next time thing. I go, now I'm going to have to get something to drink in the morning and have to. Right. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so now you said one more thing that brought up another question for me. Now, when you go to uh, Epcot, you said you go left first, you go to uh, Mexico first rather than Canada. Yes. OK, that's yeah, that's the correct way to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I go that way as well. <laughs> So I think, uh, I think it's the correct way. Maybe I should start going right. Like as soon as I try to do, <laughs> I try to do counter crowd. So whatever mm, everyone does, uh, I'm like, no, I'm doing something else. I will uh, say, I see the majority <laughs> of people go towards Mexico first. Cause I think, mm-hmm. um, I, yeah, I asked you what your, uh, what pavilions you spend the most time in. And I think mine might be Mexico. Yeah. I mean, mine's definitely Germany. Yeah. Love Germany pavilion. Mine's yeah. pavilion. <laughs> okay. I, I, yeah. and it, it and it it definitely depends. Like there are days I, I I love the Mexico Pavilion too. It's the the only fully enclosed pavilion um, for the most part. There's outdoor kiosks right. and things, but uh, it, it's the only one that's you know night all the time. It's something very romantic about that atmosphere. Um, but I don't know what this is about the France Pavilion. It's just uh, it's little corridors. It feels very Parisian. It's uh, I love impressions de France, and once they start. Once they open Ratatouille, uh, while that ride, unfortunately, in Disneyland Paris made me very motion sick, so I'm not oh, going to no. ride it again, I am really looking forward to definitely walking through the queue. Uh, I love Actually, the queue is, I really loved the queue in Disneyland Paris, and I'm hoping they deliver something at least as impressive, if not more impressive, with with uh, Epcot. Um, but I'm looking forward to the expansion, to the to the France Pavilion, with the new creperie yeah. and... Uh, I'm sure there's gonna be some new shops like that that I'm really looking forward to it should be really cool Yeah, I'm looking forward to all the new stuff coming to Epcot. There's gonna it's gonna be a, Almost an entire new Epcot the next time I'm able to go probably yeah a very different park Well, I guess really quickly. Um, we'll throw it to a break um, and then when we get back I'm actually gonna uh, ask a little bit more about um, The Epcot pavilions and then we'll go back into some Imagineering stuff So don't go anywhere and we'll be right back and we are back. So um, I did want to ask you, uh, Matthew, do you want to just like kind of walk us through the queue of Ratatouille? Yeah, I, I there's, you know, I said that and I, and I made it sound like it's a flight of passage queue and it's not. Um, <laughs> it's, 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 it's not going to take too long to describe. So you, it, the outdoor portion surprisingly reminded me of, of Muppet Vision 3D. If you think about the the outdoor part of the queue, there's these this overhang awning outside of a brick building and it felt very Vision 3D to me with the posters. Um, 
But then once you walk inside, what I really liked was you are suddenly on the rooftops of Paris. And there's a sign. You walk in, you see the the sign of Gusteau's. You're in this this sort of, not a big room, but it's big enough. It's a pretty large room. And there's the, you know, it's nighttime, similar to how we talked about Mexico. It's always night. It's it's always night in the, the Ratatouille queue. And you do have the Gusto sign lit up with the stars and, and uh, Gusto's there. And then you're looking at it. You're like, oh, this is very cool. And then all of a sudden, every few minutes, Gusto starts talking to you. And I'm like, whoa, that's so cool. It's like the movie. Like you're you're playing the role of Remy and he's talking to you. And in Paris, it's interesting that they have a large English-speaking audience and a large French-speaking audience, of course. And it is France, so... In France, everything is French first. Um, so he speaks French for one portion and then goes to, you know, a couple, a couple minutes without him talking. And then yeah. the next next one is English and a couple minutes of him not talking. And then the next one is French, a couple minutes of not talking. Like it just goes back and forth between French and English. English. Hmm. And then you, uh, you do walk through a couple of hallways that suddenly you feel like you're in a building. Um, and then you're at the load area. Like it's it. That's about it. It was mostly that part of the queue where it feels like you're on the rooftops of Paris that I like the most. So that's why I like the queue. Oh, that's that's really cool. Do you know is do you know if the new uh, ride in Epcot is supposed to be have the same or similar queue? I have no idea. I feel like it will have the same queue with maybe an extra room or two because there's okay. probably going to be more people in, waiting in line for the Epcot version just due to the sheer number of guests who visit Walt Disney World versus uh, Disneyland sure. Paris. Yeah, that makes sense. So st- sticking with the Epcot pavilions, which in in your mind uh, do you feel has the best uh, design or I guess kind of bringing an imagineering point of view to the pavilions does it are you just thinking of world showcase or world showcase in future world world just world showcase so just mm. any of those pavilions morocco um mm. definitely definitely morocco there, there's a little bit of every every pavilion has a little something that makes it interesting yeah. um for example the american adventure pavilion is the only one to use uh the opposite of forced perspective because usually with forced perspective, you make small buildings look larger. Um, the American Adventure building makes a large building look smaller. Um, okay, they, yeah. They elongate the uh, the windows that are abnormally large because <laughs> they wanted the pavilion right. to be viewable from every part of World Showcase in Epcot. So they made it the, the largest pavilion. Um, but buildings weren't that tall back in colonial America. So they had to make a, what is actually a five-story building look like a three-story building. Um, so that's interesting. But as a whole, Morocco is definitely the best because they had um, the the kingdom of Morocco sent, or the king of Morocco sent his royal crew to build the pavilion. And that talk about authenticity, they built it like they would build um actual Moroccan buildings back in Morocco. So to me, that is the most authentic. It also is the pavilion I think most people pass by and don't spend time to appreciate. But there's a lot of detail in that pavilion if you go and explore. Um, A lot of hidden corridors and rooms. And when you walk through the marketplace, you feel like you're in uh, Casablanca. You almost feel like you're in (laughs) Indiana Jones, like in the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, when he's walking through the marketplace, it's a very great pavilion. And then Marrakesh is 
a highly underrated pavilion. And I think that, uh, sorry, not pavilion, restaurant. And I think that a lot of people are afraid to eat Moroccan food, um, mm. not really realizing what Moroccan food actually is. It's it's Mediterranean. It's, it's you know, Med- Middle Eastern mm-hmm. Mediterranean cuisine. Um, like I had such such a good dish. The last time I was there, to be fair, was a few years ago. So it's been a little while, but I had a uh, like a chicken couscous uh, mixed with like carrots and and uh, peas, and it was so such a fresh dish of food. Um, had no spice to it at all. Um, for those who think Moroccan food is really spicy, it was super <laughs> mild in spice level. Um, it was like having chicken soup. Like <laughs> there's there's wow. no spice to it. And uh, it was just so delicious. Um, the The restaurant itself has got a lot of great architecture to it. So I tell people not not to forget that restaurant. It's hidden in the back. It's easy to miss, yeah. but it's a great restaurant. Yeah, I gotta say, I've I've never eaten there. So yeah, I've never had that one, it. but I'm yeah, gonna try it out. Shot. It's really good. <laughs> so uh, this is kind of a hard uh, three sixty or one eighty, I suppose. But um, if in Epcot you were to add a pavilion, what country would you want to add? India. India. Uh, I get this question a lot, so I was able to give you a quick answer. Definitely <laughs> India. Um, there's a, a couple of reasons. One, I think it adds. Uh, actually, here's 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 a long list of reasons. One, one, it's one of the most populated countries in the world. Um, yeah. So that to me is worth having a pavilion dedicated to. Two, the architecture is very different from the other pavilions. Probably closest to Morocco, but you know, still very different from Moroccan architecture. Three, the cuisine would add yeah. a great mix to World Showcase. We're lacking that cuisine in Epcot right now. Um, I think it would be, a, especially if done right, it would be an insanely popular restaurant, similar to Sanaa. I think it would it could be as great as Sanaa or better. Um, four, the, what makes it a smart business decision is they have already intellectual property that ties into the country. The biggest ones I can think of are Jungle Book. You can do a, um, and I've heard, you know, when there was rumors for a while that at D23, they were going to announce a new pavilion and everyone was speculating what it might be. The coolest idea I heard was somebody mentioned, like, here's a plot of land. You put an India pavilion here with a boat ride, similar to Pirates of the Caribbean, Battle for the Sunken Treasure in Shanghai, but you make it jungle book themed and immerse mm. yourself and immerse guests into the world of the jungle book with that technology like that is brilliant um that would be and insane could, and you could also do indiana jones because in temple of doom he goes to india yeah um so there's a lot you can do with it the architecture would be incredible uh i think it would be a really smart move for them to do that i know everybody wants brazil um i right. would put brazil on my list too but i would definitely put india ahead of brazil yeah, yeah I never even thought about that perspective. No, yeah, that that was that was so many good reasons to add India, and I I personally love Indian food and like just their cuisine and um, all their different dishes. So yeah, I, I would I would thoroughly enjoy that. It would be cool, and they already have the Taj Mahal and soaring around the world, so <laughs> yeah, it ties yeah. into Epcot already. <laughs> just yeah, goes right into it. So uh, kind of uh, taking back a step back to animal kingdom a question that i wanted to ask because it's it's two newer uh things so you can kind of compare the imagineering there would be uh uh, differences and similarities between galaxy's edge and pandora uh so what on an imagineering level i guess uh 
I just want to hear your take on those. I feel like um, I feel like the world of Avatar was kind of a practice run for Galaxy's Edge. They they do have a lot of similarities in the sense that they're fictitious places that drew inspiration from real places. Um, and that's true of the Avatar movie itself. It, of course, drew inspiration from real places. Uh, I think even the floating mountains drew inspiration from the... Uh, I forgot the mountain range in China. Yeah, um, I was going to say, I, I knew it was in China. Yeah, I can't... I'll look it up. I, I don't know my Chinese geography very well, but uh, it, it drew inspiration from that place. And then Galaxy's Edge drew inspiration from Istanbul, I believe. Um, so there's... They drew inspiration from real places to make fictitious places feel real. Uh, you know, they both have two attractions, which I think is a, a, a similarity there. Um, I, I feel like the floating mountains are a more uh, give you more of a wow factor when you walk into Pandora yeah. than anything in Galaxy's Edge. I don't think there's a particular spot in Galaxy's Edge other than the reveal of the Millennium Falcon that make you go like, wow, that's really cool. Um but yeah, they. It seems like it, they're very different, but they were built with a similar mm -hmm. state of mind. Um, Galaxy's Edge is obviously bigger than Pandora. They yeah. both feature new quick service locations that continue to build upon the traditional theme park quick service uh, feel and cuisine. It's more of a fast casual environment um, with real quality food at a at a really good price. Um, I actually lean towards Pandora for food because Satuli Canteen is still my favorite quick service in all of Disney. I think while Docking Bay 7 Food and Cargo, sort of its counterpart is great too. Um, and I like the Ronto wraps and blue and green milk. It's, it's similar to like Pangu Pangu and it's kind of weird, but based on real, uh, flavor, um, drinks, but uh, I think the the edge goes to Pandora for food because um, Satuli Canteen is incredible. So, yeah, yeah it's it, it's hard to compare them because they are very similar, but they have very different themes to them. But the way that they were built from an imaginary perspective is similar. Take a, a fictitious place, make it feel real by grounding it in real world um, uh, themes and architecture and geography. Sure. Yeah, right. I, I love the world of uh, Avatar, so I'm excited to see uh, Galaxy's Edge when I finally get to go. Um, however, um, I do have to head out. Um, I was telling uh, the guys before we started the episode that I have to head out early, so I'm going to leave the call. Hopefully this doesn't hang up the recording. Um, if it does, so I sorry. Just, I can um, just continue it where we leave off. Yeah, so, so. Matthew, it was good to talk to you. Uh, Same I here. We get to have you on again soon. And um, to our listeners, have a good rest of your day. And Phil, the helm's yours. All right. I'll see y'all later. All right. Bye, guys. See you, Jeremy. Jeremy. Bye. All right. Yeah, we're still going. We're still here. <laughs> awesome. All right. Um, so kind of leading off or what you said about the kind of that wow factor when you walk in, the, the waterfall in Pandora really even adds to the floating mountains. It's really incredible just to see that coming down. And it's a, it's a very good picture spot, too. Oh, for sure. I love that. And like to get videos of that waterfall, it's beautiful. But yeah, the new iPhones that are out there, it's it's incredible to get. Uh -huh, absolutely. There's no question. Uh, so kind of I, I do want to stick with this Imagineering because you, you're providing so much cool information that I had no idea. Um, 
is there is there one specific um i don't know how to put the uh detail in a in a park that's just mind-blowing to you that uh you love sharing with people oh there's a lot that's why i have yeah. a podcast dedicated right. to this <laughs> like i'm hard, giving you guys hard, hard like pick one yeah like i'm giving you guys little nuggets of information but yeah. I, I literally talk for hours upon hours in my podcast about all this stuff um Oh, one mind-blowing detail. I'll give you one I haven't talked about on the show before. I've, I've okay. talked about it on um, Instagram before, actually, but because uh, people ask me that question in like Instagram Lives. But I, yeah. again, think most people don't realize this. So Magic Kingdom, um, you know, I think Walt had a great sense of, of guest flow and guest experience and... Also thinking about how cast members would get to from A to B, um, thinking of in Disneyland, the the errors that were made where there's one entrance and so you can see a cowboy walking through Tomorrowland to get to Frontierland and right, just destroy yeah. the illusion. So, you know, other theme parks, even at Disney, the most majority of those parks, you have the 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 sort of um, cast guest backstage area. Not sure. cast, cast backstage area surrounding the park. So you'd have to drive around or take a bus around or walk around the park to get into your entrance. But of course, the Magic Kingdom, everybody knows about the Utilidors, the yes. famous underground Utilidors. Um, yep. it's, and it's true. And, you know, if you walk, if you talk to any cast member or if you just do the Keys to the Kingdom tour, you can see them for yourself. <laughs> so you don't even have to be yeah. a cast member. Just pay to do the Keys to the Kingdom tour, which I highly recommend. I've done the tour three times myself. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. But uh, what most people don't realize is that they call the Utilidors the, you know, underground um, tunnels under Magic Kingdom, which is mm -hmm. technically false. Yeah. Um, the Utilidors are actually ground level. Um, the guest areas are of the Magic Kingdom are the second floor of the park. So right. while you think that you're walking on ground level and that there's something below you um, underground, it's actually not true. When you walk into the park, you're technically walking 14 feet above the ground um, mm -hmm. to go above the Utilidors, which is the first level of the the giant structure building <laughs> of Magic Kingdom. Yeah. And then everything else you see is the the second floor of the Magic Kingdom. So to me, that's when I learned that I'm like, wow. That's yeah. that's really cool. And, and, and anyone, any any cast member who works at Magic Kingdom, you know, you can see this right. when you get that bus backstage and you're yep. uh, let out under It's a Small World. And you can look up and see the the back of It's a Small World. Right. Yeah. This is yeah. It's it's a really cool, neat topic to talk about. Uh, and Jeremy and I have always wanted to talk about it, and we don't know like how much we're really able to say and like how much we can talk about it, but yeah, just the uh, the times I was able to work in Magic Kingdom, uh, it the actually the very first time it was mind blowing going under there and having to try to figure out my way because I was um, working the crowd control all the way in Main Street and as a cast member you enter back at the back and through under Fantasyland so I had to find my way walk all the way to the front of the park probably a good ten minute walk. Um, even walking in a straight line. Um, but yeah, it, there are few signs and I had no idea what stairs to go up to actually get up to the I had second level, the main, the main level of the park. So yeah, it's very confusing the first time, uh, you have to do it, but it is quite the, quite the construction or, um, thought process of 
doing that just just to keep the integrity of each land. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. And it is, you're right, it is a difficult balance to figure out like what, what can you share, what can't you share. To me, right. if it's something that's been that's documented and yeah. that guests can even pay to see, um, I consider that fair game. If it's something exactly. that you, you know, it's a proprietary secret that it's almost like giving away the Coca-Cola formula, like that <laughs> that I won't share. But um yeah. anything that's that's well known or well documented, or you can see it read it in a book or hear it on a tour, like those are things to me that are fair game. Yeah, I, I do feel like they originally tried to keep it more of a secret and now that it's kind of gotten out they're okay with sharing that information especially ever since they started the keys to the kingdom tour i don't i'm not exactly sure how long they've been doing that but um my my parents have done it and they said it's amazing i i haven't actually done it myself yet but i hope to even as someone who's seen it in person it's it's really cool to do the tour because you learn so much right yeah I, i can imagine and um just I've I've been able to talk to one of those tour guides and they're they're just so knowledgeable about just things you have n- no clue. Um, there there's just so many more facts that you can always learn. They're an example of people who know more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, no I have doubt. to ask the guy the guides questions because I'm like, how do you like how many? <laughs> the, you know, if I ask them what's the how long is Main Street? They'll give me a you know a factual answer in like right. eight inches, and I'll be like, yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's had a crazy amount of information. If they don't know it, they look it up too, which is even cooler. Yeah, yeah. It's re- it's amazing uh, the information that they they will know. Um, so kind of kind of back to your episode a little bit. If if you had to pick one of your favorite episodes, uh, which one would that be, and what was the topic of the episode? I think, um, yeah, it's really hard to pick. Uh, and I get this question a lot. I, I It's hard for me to pick a favorite um, guest I've had on the show because the 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 breadth of experience and um, impact that the guests I've had on the show have had on Disney is, is um, humbling, the fact that they've been on my show. But as far as attraction episodes, my favorite is probably the Rise of the Resistance episode, which just as of the time we're talking is a week old. Uh, it's, it's, um, it took me the longest amount of time to put together partially because the attraction is so new that it's all new information I had to learn. There wasn't any sort of record of, of information I had learned from the past about this attraction. It's brand new. Um, so I had to do a lot of research and it took me a lot of time to get all my facts straight. And, um, then the level of detail with the attraction is so in-depth that with every attraction episode, even though I share a lot of information, there's still a lot more I could share that I just hold back from because it would be hours of talking. And Rise of the Resistance um, was the most information I've given in an episode because still maintaining that same uh, depth of information still required so much to say because uh, <laughs> yeah. there is so much to it so that and to me it also has the cleanest audio recording i've ever gotten of an attraction by complete luck because <laughs> i only wrote it once and recorded it once and huh. and it just came out perfectly like everything that's, just came out perfectly so it was the perfect storm of making a great episode that's yeah that's really cool um i i loved i loved the aspect of you putting in the uh, ride audio just because I can 
each one I listen to, uh, I can perfectly picture myself writing it. I mean, obviously with Rise of the Resistance, I haven't been on been on it before, but with the ones I have, yeah, I can I can just picture myself there if I close my eyes. It's so cool. Yeah, and to me, it's funny. I actually this the formula I came up with was designed around the Keys of the Kingdom tour experience because I love that's again I love I've done that tour three times, and their approach is. Um, the same approach I take to the podcast, which is you share a lot of great, really cool knowledge. I remember when we did the Haunted Mansion the last time, because that's one of the rides they take you on with the Keys of the Kingdom tour, is mm-hmm. our guide. We stood out front of the Haunted Mansion in a shaded area, um, which is also very nice because it was a very hot day in <laughs> August. Um, stood in the shade. And for, I kid you not, 20 minutes, um, this tour guide was telling us all these details about the Haunted Mansion to look out for. And then we wow. wrote, went and wrote the Haunted Mansion. And as we're experiencing it, we're looking at, oh, that's what he said about this. That's what he said about that. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> that's what he said about that. And so that's exactly what I do with the podcast episodes. I give you a lot mm-hmm. of information about these attractions, and then we go and write it together. And, yeah. um, you know, visually, you're not going to see the things that I talk about that are visual, but you can at least hear right. uh, what the attraction involves and, um kind of live through in some way uh what we talk about in the episode yeah that's that's really cool um and haunted mansion is one one of those it has there's so many hidden like just details that you don't really know unless you're told unless you're told that and then once you are told about these different um facts you're it's just amazing to see it in person and uh we we kind of get the same experience with having guests on our show of cast members that work these different attractions or different lands uh and then they'll tell us some things and then jeremy and i will go back and we're like oh yeah the, yeah didn't even notice that before it's it's really cool to be just to learn all these different things yeah it's incredible they literally have a book just about the haunted mansion because yeah. of how much how much detail there is to it yeah it's it's pretty crazy really crazy so uh yeah i mean I, if you guys have not listened to the Imagineer podcast, definitely go check it out. Um, I don't know who would be listening that hasn't listened to it, but it's it's really entertaining just to hear all these facts. And Matthew's been able to provide us some, uh, just, a, just a very small amount of what he provides on his show. So if you, uh, if you are into that, definitely go check it out. It's amazing. Uh, we'll kind of get into our trivia and uh instagram investigation and we'll finish it off with some disney questions now is that good with you yeah it's good with me and now i feel like i'm a a little nervous because i give a lot of information (laughs) on my show (laughs) i mean i i was almost nervous to ask you these trivia questions just because i mean man i I was like if he says something i'm gonna second guess myself and i'm gonna be like this could be totally wrong and he could be right (laughs) Uh, but probably not i might just be screwing (laughs) it up don't don't think i you got it wrong (laughs) All right. Well, uh, we'll kind of get into it. I just got I got four trivia questions for you. All uh, right. And I know last episode we talked a little bit about um, his college program, about how you were on uh, the safari and uh, where a driver worked that attraction. Um, so a couple of these questions are about that. OK, uh, well, that's making me extra nervous now. <laughs> uh, do you know how many acres the safari itself is? I knew you were going to ask me that question. Um, 
it's I don't know the exact number. I think it's about 93, but I know it's a couple acres larger than Magic Kingdom, however large it is. The fact I got is said it was 107. All right. So even bigger than I thought. Maybe yeah, Magic Kingdom yeah, was 93. I, yeah, like that type of stuff. It's really hard for me yeah. to remember. Um, but yeah, so well, do you that's th- probably do you think right. Could have expanded it since you worked there. Like, do you think maybe oh, yeah. it was 93 and now like it's oh, just no, no, increased? No. No, it's it's I got it wrong. It's, oh, okay. It's, it's, okay. It's definitely um, such much that they have room to expand because they do. Uh, but no, no, no. Yeah, I think your fact is right. I just uh, I don't remember oh, okay. the exact number. Yeah, I was I was just curious because I know they're always always changing stuff. Um, yeah, no, it's it's definitely the same as it was. <laughs> so another question about the safari. Uh, do you know how much approximately the safari trucks cost? I don't. This one I really don't know at all. <laughs> so it uh they each one cost about a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. So that makes sense. Yeah, I mean it's it's a bigger truck. I mean it's gonna be specially designed for Disney. So I can yeah, tell you they have do. 44 of them. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a that's a lot of money to spend on some trucks. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's that's crazy. And I'm I'm gonna guess you probably know this the answer to this one. Do you know uh, what the Imagineering department originally was known as? Oh, Wet Enterprises. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I knew, uh, knew you were going to know that one. I thought you were going to ask me what they were originally going to call Kilimanjaro Safari. So I was like, oh. I actually do know what they were originally going to call. It's going to be oh, Ser- uh, Serengeti Safaris. Oh, but, yes. Um, I, I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah. But there was some conflict. I think Bush Gardens had that name. There was some, some reason they didn't use it, but it was originally supposed to be Serengeti Safaris. Okay, yeah, that, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so one last question, um, you probably know this one too, because they, uh, the safari tour guide says it pretty much every time you ride the ride, um, or ride through the safari. Not really a ride. Uh, how far can you hear a lion's roar? Can I get out my fact book? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. I don't know this one. I don't think that might have even been a new fact they added. Uh, so okay. I'm not sure. This was 13 years ago that I did this. <laughs> so uh, they say, and a couple other sources on the internet will say five miles. And I didn't believe that at first because they, they'll say it when you ride the safari. They'll say you can actually hear it up to five miles away. And I'm like, no way. Like, But then I did happen to hear um one of the lions roar when i was riding through the safari and i was like yeah you can definitely hear that probably five miles away because he wasn't even it wasn't even the loudest he could possibly go and it was loud it was loud well phil you stumped me completely <laughs> i scored a 25 percent on your quiz <laughs> yeah. uh, i mean some a lot of, of our guests will get none right. So I mean, twenty five percent is better than zero percent. When it comes uh, to numbers, I'm actually pretty bad with like the how large, okay, how many acres, yeah. how I do know speeds for some rides, but like how much did this cost? How much did like how how many gallons are in the living seas? Like those are things that I just don't remember. Um, yeah, but that, that's, uh, funny. that's funny you asked that because that was one of our questions. We yeah. recently asked one of our guests. Um, these are really tough questions. Like you, you think yeah. my quizzes are hard? That's <laughs> <laughs> that's tough. Yeah, we, uh, yeah, we. I mean, we kind of try to 
bring in stuff that's not as well known just because don't want to be repetitive and hear the same things all the time. But well, yeah, I learned three new things today. Awesome. 107 well, acres, $100,000, <laughs> five miles. Not yeah. <laughs> but glad we could provide that. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, going into our Instagram investigation where we kind of just look back at your Instagram, see a couple things that we found interesting or wanted to ask more information about. Um, but one of the things I just noticed on your Instagram, uh, especially just because with your Imagineering podcast and the uh, information you have, there is just so much Disney information. You could look through your Instagram forever and just be amazed at how much you'll learn just by looking at your Instagram. It's really cool. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, so one question I did have is I had, or I saw you had a post about Big Thunder Mountain um, and asking what everybody's favorite mountain is. I wanted to know what your favorite mountain is and why, why that is. A hundred percent Disneyland Paris. hundred percent. It's definitely the best Thunder Mountain there's one easy reason it is unique in the placement of it. So the Disneyland's Walt Disney World and Tokyo Disneyland versions are, which is the other places that they have Thunder Mountain, are, um, you know, extensions of Frontierland, part of Frontierland. But Disneyland Paris, in front, it is in Frontierland, but they don't mm -hmm. have a Tom Sawyer Island. Thunder Mountain is tom sawyer island so it's okay. completely surrounded by water and yet you board it on the other side of the river on the front you know where you would typically yeah. find thunder mountain so um the the mountain itself already has an advantage while disneyland's is the mirror image with some there is slight differences but it's basically the mirror image of um walt disney world's and then I think Tokyo's is the same as Walt Disney World's. Um, okay. The Disneyland Paris version is longer because you now have to get from one side of the river to the other. And um, two, that adds a really fun element of right from the beginning, just, just like every other version of the attraction, you kind of go down this little gradual decline um, into a dark tunnel. But mm. in Disneyland and Magic Kingdom, it kind of just it goes maybe 10 feet and it just kind of okay. stops and then you bank a little bit and then go right into the lift hill. Uh, this one, you go down farther and faster mm. and you can feel it and you're in the pitch black and then all of a sudden it crests back up um, this this like bunny hill to get back to the main level where the other attractions start to go up the, the oh. first lift. Um, so you're going down like this dark tunnel, this really long turn. And then it's like, you're like, oh my gosh, we're going, you could hear it in the tunnel. You're like, we're definitely going faster. And then it, it crests up this hill to yeah. the bottom of the lift hill. Um, That's really cool. And in returning it's, uh, you know, the whole ride is surrounded by water. So almost at any point you're going to be looking out to the river and it's got some great views of frontier land. And then the end of the ride, you, uh, it's really hard to see this in videos, which is why I'll describe it. You go <laughs> away from uh, the station, you know, kind of like the back of Rivers of America. If you're picturing, if you're standing in Frontierlands, okay. looking at Thompson Island, um, you kind of go to the back of the river. Um, yeah. It turns into this tunnel, sharp turn, 
and starts, you know, and then faces towards the station again. And all of a sudden, again, it's in pitch black. You just feel the vehicle start, the train start like <laughs> descending. Um, and you're kind of like going up a little bit in your seat because you're already at a high speed. Yeah. And it just like plummets down this tunnel. <laughs> um, and it's going so fast. And then you go like along this long straightaway under the river, make this large left bank turn. And then again, similar to at the beginning, you kind of like crest up this hill um, over this bunny hill almost. And uh, you're into the brake section. Um, it's just a really, really fun ride compared to the other two, even more so. Sure. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, that's um, so much more detail than I've ever heard answered on uh, on that question. <laughs> Uh, Sorry. Usually it's just, no, no, it's I, I love hearing it because um, we'll get it's just usually like, oh, I like this one because it's more fun. And like, um, but yeah, that's that's so interesting to just hear all those different um, the differences between all the different uh, Big Thunder Mountains. That's really cool. And it's classic ride for sure. Absolutely. Uh, uh, so one more question I had on your. Instagram, you just had a you had a post about the Incredicoaster out in uh, Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been to Disneyland once, and it was when I was eight, so a little little while ago. And um, that it used to be a different, it called something else. Is that correct? Yes, it was California Screaming from two thousand one yeah, okay. to two thousand seventeen. Did they did they change anything about the roller coaster other than the theming? The track itself is totally the same. Um, okay. The the launch speed, the like the the track remained exactly the same. It's very similar to um. Actually, Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout isn't fair to say because they did change the ride <laughs> programming. Um, I guess I can't think of an analogy, but yeah, it, it's if you stripped the ride of all theming, it's exactly the same ride. Okay, that's I, because I couldn't tell exactly because I was so I was. I was younger when I when I wrote it, so I don't have too much memory of that. But yeah, I I, I definitely knew it was called something else. Yeah, you definitely need to go back, by the way, because it's yeah. I mean, especially California Adventure is is um leaps and bounds above what it was when it opened. It's a it's such a great park. Yeah, it's I've from what I've seen, just from people posting about it and telling me about it. There's just so many new new things. Uh, there and it's yeah seems totally different like you said uh yeah it's it's yeah. so great it also has my favorite nighttime show world of color is my favorite nighttime show at yeah I, I saw that on your instagram and i was like wow i i definitely need to see that since uh uh <laughs> I, I i would take your recommendation any day so to be uh, fair people do disagree with me because it doesn't have okay. fireworks and people often sure. love fireworks but um to me it's the the one show that like Happily ever after, it it brings a tear to your eye because of that mm. that dose of Disney sentimentality. Um, yeah. And of course, with like the music, it's just like the 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 pinnacle of like the word magical. Like, oh, it's so right. beautiful, it's so magical, it's so <laughs> amazing. It's Disney, we're here, um, and that's wonderful. And I love that show too. It it does bring a tear to my eye. But World of Color and its sheer beauty brought a tear to my mm. eye. Just the you see it in videos. You're like, oh, it's an awesome fountain show. And then right. you go in person. And especially if you sit, if you stand towards the front, you're like overwhelmed with how 
large these fountains are and how incredible like they're just so beautiful like the way that they dance and the colors it's just incredible i love that show yeah that, it's interesting so how does it compare to rivers of light oh very different uh very different. <laughs> yeah. okay i i would definitely put world of color i like i i like rivers of light more than most people i i put mm-hmm. world of color way above rivers of light okay yeah i was i mean just i mean i haven't actually watched the show online or anything so um but just pictures i've seen it 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 looks like it has its similarity just with its use of water i guess is really the only thing and lack Uh, of fireworks right yeah (laughs) yeah um but yeah that that'll pretty much wrap up our instagram investigation as as always that was some cool information as well awesome Uh, but uh yeah we'll uh get into kind of some disney favorites uh just some quick answer questions. Uh, so getting right into it, no order. What would be your top three favorite Disney movies? Lion King. Does this have to be animated? No, and any of them. Okay. Any Lion Disney King. Movie. Yeah, because that, that makes it a lot easier for me, actually. Um, <laughs> Lion King, uh, Toy Story, and Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Mm. Did you... Uh, did you like any other Pirates of the Caribbeans in the series, or kind no, of just I did. the original? No, I did. I did like, um, especially the first three. The fourth mm-hmm. and the fifth, they were good. They weren't great. They were good. Um, but the first one to me is the most incredible. I, I I love that movie. I could watch it over and over. I I do agree. the The first three are kind of like the. It's almost like the solid trilogy to me. The four and five, I, I almost kind of just leave out. If they would have ended it with the third one, I would have been completely okay with that yeah they were cashing in on uh jack sparrow and everyone's yeah. love of jack sparrow and i think they, yeah. uh you know they were kind of forced into a position of creating movies <laughs> to cash in on jack sparrow right. without having thought through it originally yeah they were big big, big money makers so had to make some more exactly um all right so next one what is your favorite disney character mickey mouse awesome uh what would be your favorite outfit of his oh good question um, i love asking i love asking that question probably sorcerer mickey yeah yeah I, I think that's the coolest one jeremy and i both both really like sorcerer mickey we i have a couple figurines of him in that outfit got my sorcerer mickey hat love it uh what would be your favorite disney princess tiana mm that that is said a lot, and uh, I'm kind of curious to hear your reasons to see if the reasons are similar. Yeah, I got this question recently in uh, an Instagram question sticker I posted, and I usually <laughs> don't answer it, but this time I did. Um, so to me, she had it's mostly her personality. Um, I think she serves as a great role model, and not just for little girls. I, I mean that for anybody. She's got this tenacity about her. She... Starts starts from humble beginnings. Yeah. Um, she works hard for what she wants, um, and she has to learn how to balance. I think it's very applicable and relevant to anybody how to balance, um, you know, personal family life with the career that she wants. And I think anybody can relate to that. Um, but she does everything she does with a great deal of kindness and compassion, um, mm-hmm. and. I just think she serves as a great role model for those reasons. Hardworking, tenacious, uh, ambitious, kind, compassionate. She's got a lot of great qualities. Yeah, yeah. I'm, that is that is 
pretty pretty similar to the other reasons we hear yeah she's just got the really great work ethic and you love to see it it's very relatable yes for a lot of people especially i guess maybe that's why for you know maybe for a guy it makes it more relatable (laughs) right yeah (laughs) related to yana (laughs) so um another question uh what are your top two disney songs or soundtracks oh gosh that is such a hard question um (laughs) So I'm trying to think of which which way to go about this. I'll I'll do soundtracks. Um, okay. Lion King is number one, hundred percent. Um, number two, I've never had to go past number one. That's what makes this hard. Ugh. Um, I guess. I think I'm trying to give you, I'm trying to give you a good answer here. Uh, or oh, yeah. answer. No, so definitely Lion King for number one, number two, or trying to think of a good one. Maybe, you know, Hunchback of Notre Dame. I'll give you that for number two. Okay. That, yeah. That, that's an underrated score. I, I agree. That's, that's actually, that soundtrack is probably one of my most listened to Disney soundtracks. Just, I, I enjoy, I personally enjoy all of the songs in that movie as well. So, yeah, yeah I, I like that answer. Awesome. <laughs> Glad. <laughs> All right. And one final question that I'm actually I'm expecting. A, I'm kind of expecting a unique answer from you on this one. Uh, so the ride with the best cue, in your opinion, uh, any way, any way you want to value the best in your own way, uh, just whether it be easiest to wait in or best to best theming just whatever you feel see you gotta define q here so (laughs) only because only because um if we're defining q as everything up until you board a ride vehicle it goes to rise Mm -hmm. of the resistance which is not a unique answer um if we are not defining it that way um and therefore rise of the resistance would be considered a q up to the first pre-show um, the answer would probably be Indiana Jones Adventure. Hmm. That's yeah. I. You want to describe that cue a little bit, just because personally, I since I haven't been there in so long, I don't. I can't even picture it. Yeah, it's um. And to be fair, I sometimes say Expedition Everest. The reason I give Indiana Jones Adventure, and the reason Everest gets the advantage, is because it's. Again, authenticity. There's over mm-hmm. 2,000 artifacts from the Paul that are in that queue. Um, but the reason I say Indiana Jones Adventure is because most of Expedition Everest queue is outside. Um, so it gets <laughs> a little hot when you think about that. Yeah. So Indiana Jones Adventure, they, I think they designed it smart in the sense that the standby and fast pass merge point is outside before you enter what was traditionally before fast pass the beginning of the queue, which is when you enter the temple. Um, okay. so now they merge at that point and you get to walk through the queue actually pretty fast, but, um, you start in this old abandoned temple in the, a lost river Delta in India, tying back to Epcot. Um, and you walk through these old temple ruins and <laughs> there's a lot of detail in there, much like they did with star Wars galaxy's edge, where you can go to your app and, uh, translate the yeah. uh, arabesque language um you 
have uh, these this you actually used to be able to get this uh, I never got it uh, it's a long time ago but they had this um like a uh, sheet of paper that's translated the uh, the markings in the temple to the the English alphabet and you can decode what the the lettering and words were in the queue um, and then you slowly start descending because the show building for Indiana Jones Adventure is a quarter mile from the entrance of the queue because they had to build it outside the berm because <clears throat> it's such a large ride. So you had to go under the railroad and then back up. And uh, so you descend and then actually part of it is partially exposed to the outside and you kind of look up and it looks like you're descending into a cave. And right. um, then you do enter these caves and wind yeah. through these these uh, stalagmites and stalactites and it's just feels <laughs> very cave-like. And uh, you enter another room with... Um, spikes on the ceiling very similar to like you know very like a booby trap basically okay. and there's a pole okay. there's actually a pole that's physically holding the ceiling up or it looks like it is um it says do not pull i think that's the wording it's used on it's basically <laughs> some some warning it says like don't touch this yeah. um when it's working properly if you do touch it um you hear this loud bang and the ceiling with all these spikes start lowering towards you like you're gonna get crushed it's just wow. such a like a scary fun thing um and then you enter the large temple of uh, Mara, and hmm. so there's another little prank in the queue in the middle of it where you hear these guys digging and talking. Um, it says, do not pull the rope. And as soon as you pull the rope, um, you hear them fall. <laughs> like, wow. like, no! <laughs> and they start, it's like a funny little gag in the, in the yeah, queue. Yeah, yeah. Um, the pre-show's fine. It's in a constant loop, so it's not a formal pre-show. You just kind of walk through this little... Um, pre-show of uh the safety warnings and giving you a, a sense of story um and then through some more uh, you pass some more artifacts it's, it's just got this real like raiders of the lost ark feeling to it sure. the attention to detail is incredible and um i never feel like i i've captured everything in there it's just got so much to it yeah that's yeah that, i mean just the interactions I, I love cues that have interactions that you can um just it, you enjoy it so much more and it's more more attention to detail and you just feel more immersed into the into the world of the ride that you're about to ride absolutely uh, so yeah that I, I love that answer that was uh really interesting to hear and one that i don't think has been said before on our oh, podcast great. <laughs> yeah i thought so, that'd be a common answer in some no, way yeah. i mean we we usually have a lot more uh disney world cast members or um guests on our show so uh it's usually usually a disney world answer less disneyland yeah uh, but yeah so uh, yeah that was an awesome answer loved it awesome all right well that will kind of wrap up our episode um they, if you guys are still with us we appreciate it that i know it was a longer one but i'm so glad we did two parts because that that one episode would have been very long definitely <laughs> wouldn't have got all the information we wanted um so, totally yeah. my fault. I go into a lot of detail. <laughs> oh, no, that's great. It's great. And uh, um, we love just hearing every everything our guest has to offer uh, just because we, we never want to cut our guests short or of anything. And you never know what you might hear if you miss that opportunity. So, yeah, we, I really appreciate you taking the time, Matthew. Um, love, we'll love to hear uh, the future of your podcast and what's to come. Um, can't wait to watch out for that. Uh, but yeah, thank you very much for joining me, joining me and Jeremy as he left us a little bit ago. 
on the episode today. Of course. Well, thanks to both of you for having me on the show. Definitely, definitely. All right, well, thank you guys, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Thank you.